Thank you, Jovelyn, for sharing your testimony with, uh, with your friends and family here at Cornerstone. Uh, Jovelyn is uh, pretty open and honest. If anybody wants to talk to her after the service, uh, she's uh, open to that. Uh, we are in this uh, sermon series called Family Matters, and uh, this fits right along with my topic today, which is a Generation Gap. Uh, there are ages that separate us, and yet we're able to still minister to one another. And so uh, let's uh, start uh, by reading that passage in Titus chapter 2, and then we'll pray. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. And then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. And sim in similar ways, encourage the young men to be self-controlled, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Uh, let's pray over this passage and, and talk. Father, I am thankful for uh, your mighty and powerful word. And I pray, Lord, that it will speak to our hearts this morning, that through your spirit, you will guide and lead us towards truth. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> How many of all have ever heard of the game show, Generation Gap? It's a fairly new game show starring Kelly Ripa, it's a quiz show that groups family members of different generations who must work together to answer questions about the other person's generation. Uh, usually it's a grandparent and a grandchild who teams up. And this morning, in the spirit of that topic, I want to try a little bit of that with you. And so what I'm looking for this morning is uh, somebody who is under the age of 25 to volunteer to come up here and play this game. All right, Joshua, come on up. He was my uh, backup in case nobody uh, wanted to. Now, the other person that's going to go up against Joshua is uh, someone who remembers the 60s and 70s. Notice I said remembers. Come on. I don't want to have to call someone up. Eli, you do not remember the 60s and 70s, buddy. All right, Ron, come on up. I'm calling you up. Give Ron a hand. Ron Wentworth. Ron, I know you remember the 60s and 70s. All right. So what we're going to do is the first category is musical artist, okay? The first question is going to be for Ron. And the question is, who is this musical artist? Yeah. 
I can't give you a name. No? No? What about you, Joshua? That's the weekend. That's the weekend. That's correct. Joshua got it. Good job. All right. And now the second question is for Joshua. What is this artist's name? I can't give you a name. You can't give me anything? Can I give a guess? Nope. No guess. All right. How about you, buddy? I'm supposed to know them, huh? You should know who those folks are. Beach Boys. The Beach Boys. That is correct. That's correct. All right. Now, the next one uh, is, a, is a little bit harder. We're going to mu move to mus uh, musical technology. Okay, musical technology. This first one is for Ron here. See if you can guess who this, what, what this is. What musical technology is this? What era? No, what musical technology is it? Nothing? Nothing? Do you want to give a guess? This one's a hard one. I don't know. He doesn't know either. Anybody know out here? Those are Bluetooth glasses. Those are called Bose frames, or I would have gone with bo bone conducting uh, technology as well. All right, now this one's for Joshua. Musical technology. You ready? Nope. No clue? Nope. You still got one in your car, don't you? Yeah, you want some? No. Eight track. That's an eight track. That's right. That's right. Good job. All right, now this last one is um, board games, board games. This one might be a little bit difficult. All right, you ready? All right, go ahead. What board game is that? You know what it is, we can't think of the name. Looks like Chinese checkers, you guys wanna say it out there? Yeah, Catan, that's right. Settlers of Catan. All right, here's the one for you. You ready? This was popular in the 70s. Oh, no idea. No idea? No idea. Do you remember what this is, Ron? I do. Backgammon. Backgammon. Give these guys a hand. Hey, uh, Joshua. Good job. And so the idea behind the game is that, uh, you know, we, we, we don't necessarily uh, know a lot about each other, right? Uh, but the idea behind the game is, is a lot of fun. Uh, I, I think as we read this passage in Titus, what we see is Titus giving direction about how generations are different, but how they can live and work together in community. Even though the direct application is for the church, I think you'll see this morning that we can apply these principles to our neighborhood, our workplaces, and our, and our family as well. So let, let's take a look this morning on some of these principles that uh, Paul teaches in Titus chapter 2. Uh, the first one, principle number one, and you can write these down in your bulletin if you'd like, is that we're to teach doctrine with application. Look at verse 1 again. He says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. And that's a word, and that's a concept that we look at and we're like, well, holy cow, I don't know a lot of doctrine. It's intimidating. Man, uh, I, I have no idea where to even start with doctrine. 
But to understand what Paul is saying, you have to go back to chapter 1, verse 16. And that says, they, and he's talking about these rebellious teachers, they claim to know God, but their actions deny him. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for anything good. And so Paul is telling Titus that these rebellious teachers are, they know doctrine. They can explain doctrine. They know sanctification, transubstantiation, justification. They know all the ancient words. They claim to know God, but they deny God with their actions. So Paul goes on to tell us in verses 2 through 6, doctrine applied is older women to be reverent in the way they live and so forth. Faith and action. There's a chaplain by the name of Austin Manfield. He recalls this story. Says a senior chaplain at the Marine Corps base where I worked during the week, lost his home and everything in a fire. I spoke to him on Wednesday and he had just received that call, but he didn't mention it. Instead, he asked me how my wife was doing, asked if our house was destroyed in the fire. I told him we're doing okay, the fires hadn't reached our house and he was happy for us and praised God. It was only after I asked him about his own home, his own family, that he mentioned his house was destroyed. Just one sentence and then he moved on to talk about ministry. The following day I found out that he was still standing duty, consoling more than 400 people and the evacuees who had given refuge on our base. His unwavering faith in his own suffering and loss, he felt the need to reach out in love to others. This man knew God. And you knew he knew God. You knew he knew God by the way that he lived. It is doctrine with application. If you want to teach sound doctrine, one of the best ways you can do it is through love and action. Principle number two is intentional relationships. Do you see the intentionality within these verses? Older women training younger women. Older men training younger men. Paul is encouraging Titus to teach people about being intentional in their relationships. If you have a younger nephew, you can be intentional about being a good example to him. If you have a grandchild, you can train her to live a godly life. If you have a younger cousin, you can set her the skills that she needs to be a good mom. I think these are the relationships just within our family tree that we can share and love and act out exactly what Paul is teaching in Titus. But it doesn't even stop there. John Maxwell, in one of his books on leadership, writes that the basis of life is people and how they relate to one another. Our success, fulfillment, our happiness 
depends on our ability to relate effectively. The best way to become a person that others are drawn to is to develop qualities that we are attracted to in others. Uh, Just as I was preparing this chapter, he writes, I received an anonymous card from a member of my congregation. It was especially meaningful because it reflected the importance of warm and rewarding relationships. When special people touch our lives, then suddenly we see how beautiful and wonderful our world can really be. They show us how special hopes and dreams can take us by helping us look inward and believe in who we are. They bless us with their love and joy through everything they give. Doesn't that reflect the kind of person that we want to be to others? I want to remind you of the other popular proverb in Proverbs chapter 27 that says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And so we must teach proper doctrine through application and action, and we should be intentional about the relationships that are happening around us. But one final application, one final principle that I want to share with you this morning, principle number three, be exceptional. Be exceptional. Look at what Paul said at the end of the passage. So that those who opposed you may be ashamed because they know they have nothing bad to say about us. There are people who are critiquing the early church. You're not living right. Your community is weird. Maybe it should look like this or look like that. And I think Paul is encouraging this congregation to break down these generational walls so that they can live exceptional lives. The world has the wrong idea about what it means to be exceptional. I believe it's driven by materialism and greed. It was Don Everts who wrote a book about neighborhoods and he shares this insight that there has been a paradigm shift going on in neighborhoods in the United States since the end of World War II. For decades before the 40s, neighborhoods were places where people were known, places where people were active. Whether a rural community, a suburban street, an urban block, or an apartment complex, neighbors commonly saw themselves as having a shared life in their neighborhood that naturally involved celebrating together, helping each other, looking after the neighborhood. But as you can guess, that's been changing. The evidence suggests that America's dramatic economic growth after post-World War II has been accompanied by substantial increases in individualism and materialism. We may be experiencing unprecedented levels of prosperity, but our social fabric is falling apart. Research shows that we have lower self-reported happiness, poorer interpersonal relationships, 
higher levels of anxiety and depression, greater antisocial behavior. And as we focus more on material things and less on relationships, chronic loneliness has become more common in our neighborhoods. And because we're more isolated than our neighbors, we've turned to purchasing the care we once received from our neighbors. The net result, neighborhoods are no longer places where we are known and active. There used to be a time where no matter how old your neighbor was, you were part of their lives. And it's important, I think, in the church to have this very intentional relationship. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4 that from Jesus Christ, from him, Jesus Christ, the whole body is held together, joined, held together by every supporting ligament. And from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Ligament. What's it do? It grows, it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It's the last part of verse 16. As each part does its work. We can only be exceptional when we look at the church and our family as a body that is held together. And I emphasize as each part does its work. Speaking of neighbors, I noticed several weeks ago that my neighbors, Bob and Sue, they left their rose bushes unkept. Unkept. What looked like weeds had taken over their rose bushes. And to be quite honest, it was embarrassing. Embarrassing. A few days ago, I saw Bob walking around uh, these weeds, so I went over to check out what was going on, and I was surprised to learn that those weren't weeds. They were watermelons. <laughs> watermelons. Bob's not really sure what happened, but he showed me four giant, I mean, these things are giant watermelons, healthy on a massive vine. And I got to thinking about today's message and I reflected on how the church is this natural organic vehicle for generational conversations, right? It's just natural, it's just organic. I mean, look around this morning. The place is full of people of all ages. Now we could be like Bob and accidentally plant a watermelon bush, right, or vine. We can be like Bob and accidentally plant a watermelon vine. Or we can look around, we can see these generational differences, and we can learn and grow from them. We can be intentional. And we can be exceptional. 
And when we are growing each other, that is doctrine applied. Paul gave us the model, and now we must live it out. We're going to move into our time of communion this morning. You'll notice that in three sections over here, there's one here, here, and here. Uh, there are uh, communion tables, and I invite you while we're singing to go and take a cup. On the bottom cup is the bread, top cup is the juice. And if you'll hold that while we'll sing, uh, Jim will come up and share with us a little bit more, and he, we'll take that, those cups together. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, I'm just so thankful for this body of believers. I'm thankful that you have held us together through the power of your Holy Spirit. I am thankful, dear Lord, that we are doing the work necessary that we can grow. And I pray, Father, for each and every single one of us that we will find people in our lives that we can invest into, that we can be intentional with, that, Lord, we can share your love Show what it means to be a good father, a good mother. Show what it means to be a good grandparent. Show what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Father, we are thankful for his sacrifice. And as we move into this time of communion, we are reminded that even though we have so many differences, even though many of us are on different walks of faith, we all are united by your blood and by your body and by the sacrifice you made on the cross. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.